Welcome to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you with us. Check out thebuffshow.com. Excellent shopping ideas there with our sponsors. And get on my pillow for up to 66% off and up to 80% off with closeout sales. Use promo code buff, mypillow.com slash buff. And also my Patriot Cigars. Still two-day shipping going on there. 15% off with promo code buff. Visit mypatriotcigars.com. Get your orders in now as we head toward the border situation exacerbating to a huge major catastrophe for this country. It's already been record set, uh, setting as far as crossings, gotaways, and fentanyl, and people coming in here illegally. It's just been an absolute disaster. And all the news is talking about Title 42, Title 42. That was a freaking Band-Aid, people. We're going to go to our good friend, John Davidson, from The Federalist. Great to have you back. He's senior editor of The Federalist. John, welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. You've been to the border several times. It's great to have you today, of all days. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So we know now the Supreme Court has put a stop on this. I mean, this came yeah. to their desk pretty quickly. And they said, you know, before you do this, we're we're going to see a major problem. And Title 42, which is the main focus of the mainstream media, is just a Band-Aid, John, like I said at the beginning there. It's just a little temporary halt where Trump was doing all he could to stop the flow. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's one that you don't hear talked about in the corporate media. But if you look at the numbers, if you go back to when Trump first invoked Title 42, uh, right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, the percentage of people being arrested at the border who were then expelled under Title 42 authority. And you can you can look at these numbers on the Customs and Border Protection website and see who's who is arrested under Title 8, which is the normal authority, and who is arrested under Title 42. About 95% or more of the people being arrested at the border at the beginning of the pandemic were being expelled immediately, same day, under Title 42. That was during the Trump administration. Now, that number went down a little bit because uh, there were some groups of people like Venezuelans uh, and in some cases, Nicaraguans, who Mexico wouldn't accept them back. And so uh, the number inched down from 90%, but still the vast majority, I would say a supermajority of people being arrested at the border during the Trump administration were expelled under Title 42. As soon as Biden gets into office, the percentage of people getting expelled under that authority begins to plummet and it steadily drops month after month. And you can chart it. You can look at it now at, as we stand currently, the number of people getting expelled under Title 42 is minuscule. It's a drop in the bucket. Whether Title 42 goes or stays is not going to make or break the border. The border is already broken and getting rid of Title 42 will make a horrible situation a little bit worse. I love that point because it's absolutely true. You've been there. You've seen it. It's just funny. Joe Biden goes on, hey, make sure you get vaccinated before you go to your families. Whoever wrote that tweet didn't mention the fact that they're letting tons of sick ridden illegals in here. I mean, they don't send their best and their brightest, John. 
Well, you know, that was that was true at, a, at an earlier time. But the reality is the border crisis and illegal immigration has totally changed under the Biden administration because and the reason is, is because so many people know that they can get in. You have like mass numbers of middle class professional people from wow. Venezuela, Cuba, Colombia. These are people who have money. They show up at the border with money, with means. They often fly to Mexico if they if they can fly into Mexico without a visa and then, you know, charter a bus uh, and pay their way. You know, they're, they're not hiking through the desert. In other words, these are people showing up. They're middle class people. And why are they coming? For economic reasons. They know that they can make more money. There's more opportunities in the United States. They're not farm workers. I mean, there's still farm workers coming, but there's also you know, there's millions of people coming. So we're seeing a lot of middle-class professional people decide, hey, the border's open. The Biden administration will let us in. It's time to go. It's time to go. And they're actually on TV. Corrine Jean-Pierre down at Fraggle Rock is blaming reporters like you at The Federalist. They're blaming people like us at the Matt Buff Show. They're blaming us for saying an open border. We're the ones spreading the problem. It's the talk that's the problem, not the actual open border itself. I mean, this is remarkable. Yeah. This is historic. It's a stupid talking point. I, I can't. I, I mean, the White House press secretary is not the sharpest tool in the shed, so it doesn't surprise me that she would fixate on the on the phrase "open border." Yes, it's not a technical term, but effectively, the border is open. When you look at the number of of arrests, when you look at the number of illegal crossings, two point three million arrests in the last fiscal year, we've never had anything close to that at the border. It's, it, you know, it, every month sets a new record for, for that month, right? You know, I think the last number we have, uh, last month we had numbers for is October, 230,000 people arrested in, in October. There's never been an October anywhere close to that in U.S. history. So right. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Right. If that's not an open border, I don't know what is. That's right. And when we say arrest, they have a catch and release program yeah. here. Like we release you, you come back for your court date. What percentage of the go those people actually come back for their court date? <laughs> uh, not many, because uh, the reality is only about 10 to 15 percent of them end up winning asylum. Right. So the chances that you're going to win your asylum case are very, very low. Uh, and once it becomes clear that they're not going to prevail, most of these people just disappear. They stop showing up for their hearings. Is, is and, and you can actually find this in the statistics as well. The number of people who are declared uh, are who who are declared removable, that is under deportation orders in absentia, which means they didn't show up to the hearing at which they were ordered to be deported, uh, is 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 a is a vast majority of these asylum cases because they don't have valid claims to asylum. They're economic migrants. They're coming here because they want to earn more money, which is, you know, I can't blame them for that. If I were in that their position and we have the policies that we have under the Biden administration, I would probably come too. I'm thinking about leaving and coming back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell you what, it's just remar it's just insane when you look at these statistics of what to expect in the next couple of days here when the word gets out that they're not even going to turn you back for a COVID positive test anymore. The title 42 um, situation here, they've already completely abused title eight. Like you mentioned at the beginning. And we have a situation here where down the road, I want to look down the road a little bit. This will change policy. This will change the Republic. This will change our country on its face. 
Yeah, it, it, you can't have unrestricted mass illegal immigration in a democracy and not destabilize the democracy. Uh, and, you know, some people argue that that is the whole point of allowing mass illegal immigration is to destabilize the democracy, to uh, create a, a quote unquote permanent democratic majority. Democrats have been talking about this for decades uh, that, you know, bringing more immigrants in, uh, making, you know, the United States more diverse would create a permanent democratic majority. It was an electoral strategy that they have been very clear about. Uh, they, they accuse Republicans of being racists when we point out that this is an argument they have made. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is destabilizing. You cannot have this level of, of mass illegal immigration and, and expect things not to uh, become very destabilized and, and become very volatile. And you know we see that in Europe. Uh, and strangely, the United States and Europe are, are probably the only two places in the world where if you cross the border illegally, you, you, won't, you won't either get shot on sight uh, or immediately uh, arrested and not released. Uh, there's no country that you can go to and and run across the border and not risk either of those two things happening. Yeah, including Mexico, they had a strong border. That, that's policy. right. But they're they're letting these people in because they know they're just stopping by. And you can't claim asylum and pass through three countries. That's three right. Countries. Yeah, they're not real asylum claims. These are not, for the most part, these are not real asylum claims. And the migrants themselves will tell you this if you ask the right questions. A lot of reporters, they don't want to ask the right questions or they no. don't know enough to ask the right questions. But I tell you, almost every migrant I've interviewed, I've interviewed hundreds of them over the years, and the vast majority of them will tell you to your face, I want to get into America so I can send money home to my family. That's right. That's the honest answer. It's not, and the most abused word to Democrats is asylum right now, that misinformation, yeah. disinformation. But the most abused word is asylum because they yeah. don't know what it means. They don't know what it means. Well, maybe they do, but on face, in front of the cameras, a Democrat politician and leader is saying, these are asylees. These are asylum yeah. seekers. They're not. And a true asylum is where you barely make it out like a war-torn country, and you barely make it out, and you're like, please take me in or I'm going to die. Yeah, the people who were fleeing Ukrainian cities that were being shelled by Russian artillery and they were trying to make their way into Hungary or into Poland, those are asylum seekers. Right. <laughs> okay, let's be clear. Those people are seeking asylum. Uh, but you know what? There's, there are groups of people at the border who are asylum seekers, people who are fleeing the regime of Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua, political dissidents. That's a drop in the bucket of the people who are arriving at the border, a drop in the bucket. The vast majority of them are economic migrants. And I tell you, until Republicans get it through their head that the only way to control the border is to put a moratorium on all asylum cases to deport everyone who crosses the border illegally, we are not going to get the border under control. No, not at all. And it's up to the House. Last word to you, John. Where do we go from here, man? Well, I think we should expect things to get worse, uh, not better. I think the the old pattern that you know illegal immigration kind of moved with the seasons when it got when it got really hot it dropped off when it got really cold it dropped off and and when it was moderate you know we saw spikes i think that's all over now when you look at the past year 
you would have we had in excess of 200,000 arrests at the border every month for the past seven months. So it doesn't matter what time of year it is now. It doesn't matter what season it is. We're going to continue to see record breaking month over month numbers at the border, whether we have Title 42 or not, whether it's cold or hot. This is not going to end until our policy changes in Washington. So that means if we can somehow make it to the next two years, we through the next two years, we got to find a way to get this under control with a new representation in uh, in Washington, because this is a federal issue. John Davidson from The Federalist, senior editor, thank you so much for joining us on the show to break this horrific story down. And thank you for taking us behind the scenes a little bit and skimming over the, the mainstream media. We appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right, sounds good. We'll be back on the Matt Buff Show. You stay with us. Cost of living is skyrocketing, and paychecks just can't keep up. But if you're lucky enough to be a public employee, you can give yourself a raise. Visit optouttoday.com and stop paying union dues. We've helped over 100,000 public employees just like you opt out and save an average of $1,000 per year. Opt out today and put more food, fuel, and fun back into your life. It's your money. You earned it. Visit optouttoday.com. Hey, you may have heard radio show hosts talking trash on solar. Yes, even conservative talk show hosts. There was a silly comparison to trucks running 10,000 miles, carbon emissions, and panel production. It came off as like a liberal argument against a liberal problem. Shallow knowledge as opposed to experts in the field. Politics, global warming, and other environmental concerns aside, the number one reason to buy solar is simple math. Have you looked at your power bill? It has risen in the last five years. How much more will it go up in the next five years? It's a rigged game and all solar energy empowers you to stop playing a rigged game. A solar electric system freezes your costs and shields you from upcoming rate increases. If you choose to finance a solar electric system, the payment on a system that zeroes out your bill is typically less than your current power bill. This is simple math. Call All Solar Energy in Longwood tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or online at www.allsolarenergy.com. More information on this later in the show. Welcome back to the Map Up Show. Great to have you with us. Uh, you saw Twitter there. You saw, you saw Elon Musk do a poll. If you think I should remain a CEO, vote yes. And if not, I'll step down and I'll go according to this poll. I think he was just fishing out bots. That's what he was doing. But Elon Musk has done a great job in Twitter. Um, it's just unbelievable how intrusive the uh, FBI and the the DOJ and the Biden regime was in on our personal opinions, just our opinions, what we were saying on Twitter. But now he's cleaning up Twitter, and maybe we need to do the same thing to Disney, says Scott McKay. Great to have you back on the show. Everybody check out the article. It's posted right there in the description. Scott, welcome back. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Okay, great to have you. This piece is on the American Spectator. Will somebody please do a Twitter to Disney? The entertainment company will soon be ripe for a hostile takeover. I think it's 
it's time now. I saw She-Hulk. I saw some of that. I mean, this is just nonsense they're putting out there. And this whole thing, I know they brought in the old CEO back, but he ain't much better, Scott, at all. Well, you know, I, Bob Iger was the guy who started Disney down this woke uh, path that they're currently on. Um, and, I, you know, I think Iger might be a little bit more uh, oriented toward a profit motive than than uh, Bob Chappick, who was his... I guess, predecessor now and, and successor. Um, but I mean, you know, Disney is in, you're right. She-Hulk was a, a, a mess. This strange world movie that they put out lost a hundred million dollars. Um, you know, imagine that people don't want to take their kids to a movie that, you know, um, shows off the gay lifestyle. And we already like, they already knew that this was the case when they did Lightyear earlier this year and they lost a whole bunch of money on that. Um, you know, the interesting thing was, uh, and, and I know you're probably paying attention to this, you know, they're, they're doing the chosen, right? Like season three is out and they dropped the first two episodes, uh, episodes. And this is, you know, angel studios that crowdfunded this, uh, this thing. And it's, you know, and it's a, it's a retelling of the gospel, right? They put right. the first two episodes of season three at movie theaters and they did right around the same amount of money as strange world did. Uh, the first weekend at the box office. So the, the audiences are there, but they, they're not buying what Disney is selling. Um, you know, and this is a company that used to just print money in entertainment media. And it's a joke now. I mean, they, they, they literally cannot do anything that the public wants to see. Um, they, they make everything woke. They've destroyed so many of their own properties. And yeah, I mean, you know, I come from, I'm a child of the eighties. So far as I know how to uh, uh, analyze this, when you have a company that's that's got a great brand name but is an utter failure, yeah, some guy, some corporate raider comes along and uh, you know buys the place up and and sells off a bunch of stuff and fires everybody. I mean, like that's hostile takeovers are what happens to failing companies with you know with a, with a name brand and and the fact that it hasn't happened to Disney yet, um, you know, is is it just tells you it's a matter of time before it does. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. I mean, they when when they had to bring Bob Iger back, I mean, there was internal strife. There was a coup going on. There is something, you know, I just picture the board at Disney. Half of them are saying, you know, we used to be in the business of making money. I mean, now <laughs> right. it's wokeness over art, and it's just woke. It's it's uh, ideology over art. It's just ridiculous crap. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they did to Marvel. I mean, Marvel, yeah. they're putting Iron Man, right? And and this was just John Favreau taking Iron Man, right? They're putting Iron Man in the National Archives because it's just such a great movie. We want people to remember us for Iron Man. And they right. went from Iron Man to uh, Thor and the magical fairy dust. I mean, what the heck is going <laughs> on here? <laughs> right. You go from Iron Man to She-Hulk and it's like, yeah. okay, the, you know, like the, there's a progression here and everybody can see it, but you guys, right? Like what's going on? Um, you know, and it, it's, it's somewhat sad to see an iconic brand like that, uh, fall on, on, you know, the hard times that they've fallen on. But on the other hand, you know, this is, I mean, call it growing pains if you want, but, uh, or call it, uh, what I would call it is social justice, right? Yeah. When, you know, when, when you so badly fail like this, then it's important that you pay a price for that failure. 
right? <laughs> and I mean, you know, like I'm encouraged to see what's going on with, um, you know, with BlackRock, for example, that, you know, got involved. This is got along the same similar lines as, as Disney's deal. I mean, they got involved in this ESG investing and they, you know, one state after another is firing them as their investment advisor. They've lost something like $2 trillion of their oh. investors' money, right? And now yeah. you got people openly calling for Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, to be fired. Um, I think it was Vanguard, which is another one of these big uh, uh, hedge funds, has publicly disavowed ESG investing going forward because, you know, this, this woke stuff loses money, right? Like the old saying is get woke, go broke. Um, and you're starting to see it all over the place. And honestly, as bad as all this has been, you know, to see these losses, you want to, you know, you want to be upset about it. But on the other hand, it's like, no, this is necessary that, you know, like this, this failure has, is, is, um, has got to be repaid in financial losses and people losing their jobs, uh, so that you can get back to an economy that works, that isn't driven by wokeness and this stakeholder capitalism and all this stuff that, you know, violates people's values and beliefs rather than, than uh, reinforcing them. But this go woke, go broke isn't new. That's not, no. <laughs> we've no. been talking about that and Trump, he was still president and he said that. I mean, yeah. just, we, we know that if you go completely far left, that's a minority in this country, and you're alienating a majority of this country. They took a bath on a Pixar movie, and Pixar movie, right? They used to be able to put those out, right? And it was guaranteed hit, going yeah. into the archives, right? Right. And then they went. I mean, you went from The Incredibles to Buzz Lightyear with uh, not Tim Allen as a voice because he's kind of conservative. So we can't have Tim Allen. We'll bring right. him back for the show, the Santa Claus and make it utter crap so we can destroy his career. But they, they replace him with Chris Evans. Um, who's already completely tie caps typecast as captain America. <laughs> right. And he's a lunatic, but so they, they do that with him. They put in the gay character and a really terrible storyline. The storyline was dumb. It was yeah. stupid. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it took a bath on that. And they said, you know what? Let's double down. Let's keep doing it. <laughs> right. Well, and, uh, you know, and it's it's because these guys are in the business of propaganda rather than entertainment. Um, and people, you know, I, if you're going to do propaganda, then you need to make sure that you're very artful about how you do it. Right. Like it has to be disguised as something that, you know, actually tells the truth about the world. Um, and then maybe you can fool some of the people. But when it's open propaganda, people notice that and they don't like it. And, and you know, they, and they vote with their feet. And I think that that's that's what's happened to Disney. I think to a large measure, it happened to Twitter before Elon bought it. Um, and now Twitter, I mean, Twitter's getting two million uh, so new signups a day. Um, and I don't know how many of those are bots. My guess is it's probably real people because they're starting to police the bots. Um yeah. So, you know, anti-woke, I think, sells better than woke does. The question is, you know, do the woke people control the institutions and freeze out the anti-woke? And, you know, eventually you can't make that work because people actually have to like your stuff if you want to have a mass audience for it. 
Let me ask you this for the final question. And I, and like I said, the article's posted here in the links. Will someone please do a Twitter to Disney from the American Spectre and Scott McKay here? Last question. Who do you see doing? I mean, Elon Musk has got his hands full with Twitter. Right. So who yeah, do you got Elon. coming in? Who do you got coming in? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, but all I know, it's like, is Carl Icahn still around? Because he's the, you know, he was the corporate raider. Like, can, can we find some guy that, um, you know, is there a Gordon Gecko somewhere? And I'm guessing there has to be. Um, you know, I don't know who it is. I mean, there was a rumor for a while that Iger's job when he took over at Disney was to basically run a fire sale to sell the thing to Apple, which I hope is not true because I don't think that that would solve the problem at Disney at not all. Not with Tim Cook's Apple, no. No. But, you know, there's got to be somebody out there that would look at this uh, and, and see value in it and, you know, run a leveraged buyout. I mean, um, Disney's stock is such that it's ripe for a hostile takeover by somebody. And I'm guessing, you know, if, if things keep going as they go, you know, I, I don't have a name, but somebody's going to get in and do it because it's a good investment. Maybe the Prince of Abu Dhabi. I don't care. Somebody who understands the value of a buck. So we'll uh, get Aladdin movies out the yin-yang when that happens, right? <laughs> We'd get Aladdin part one, two, three, four, five. It'd be a, exactly. Disney Plus would be the Aladdin theme song when you log in. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Hey, Aladdin was a great movie, and then they screwed it up. Yeah. The live-action movies don't work, but... um. That it, yeah, I just tell you what, it's just remarkable. They don't mind losing money because they think the ideal is too important, but they did have a breakdown in that boardroom. They did. There is people in that Disney boardroom that said this can't happen. That's why you saw the switcheroo at the top. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, like you don't mind losing money until somebody says, well, maybe you should lose your job. And then all of a sudden it's a it's a it's an absolute national disaster. Uh, that that happens. And, and I think we're at that stage with so many of these woke companies, whether it's Disney or BlackRock or, or, or some of these other guys that have really poisoned their own brand. Yeah, they have. It's pretty bad when the troll on Netflix, Netflix, a Norwegian movie, the troll is better than the last three movies from Marvel or Disney. I love the troll. That movie the was great. Right. It was so bad. It was good. That's the point. And it for some really reason, the Norwegians poorly. make better movies than Disney does now. And I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, the troll, it was so bad. It was good. <laughs> it was one of those cult movies that you're going to like, hey, I remember watching the troll and everybody I talked to said troll, not bad. Maybe yeah. because our standards are so low right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're so starved for decent entertainment that doesn't offend us that we'll watch the troll. <laughs> Well done, Scott McKay. Thanks for joining us on the show again, man. We'll talk to you very soon. We, we didn't get to the Fetterman stuff. We'll do that next time. <laughs> Good deal, Matt. Take care, man. All right. Thanks, Scott. We'll be back on the Matt Buff Show. You stay with us. Are you a public employee? Tired of paying union dues when inflation and gas prices are out of control? Opt out today and keep your money. Over 100,000 American workers already have, and you can too. Visit optouttoday.com to learn more. You heard about the simple math with a solar electric system earlier in the show. Not all homes qualify. An energy evaluation by a qualified professional to get the fully informed information is always recommended. If your home qualifies, solar is always a prudent financial move. 
All Solar Energy in Longwood has been educating homeowners, roofing companies, property management firms, and now radio hosts about solar for 22 years. We have experts to perform no cost, no obligation energy evaluations to see if your home qualifies and explain the simple math of solar. Call All Solar Energy tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or visit the website www.allsolarenergy.com. Let them know you heard about it from me, Matt Buff, on The Buff Show. Welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you with us. Hit that subscribe button down there and make sure to share this show with your friends because we always got people coming on here with breaking news and stuff you may not know about. You know that uh, China's buying up farmland. You know that they're also sending over viruses. I don't know if you heard about that one. (laughs) They are, but they also have a backdoor access to our grid. I mean, this is just really troubling. We've talked with satellite phones for about the grid going down in North Carolina and other things. There's more to the story here. We'll go to Tommy Waller on the Matt Buff Show, Security for Security Center for Security Policy. Tommy, great to have you on the show. Great. Sure. Yeah, Matt. No, you're absolutely right about the Chinese and our electric grid. Uh, all of our adversaries, America's adversaries, have long known that taking down our electric grid is the way they can take down our modern civilization. China in particular has numerous ways that you had mentioned hacking into the grid. It's not just uh, cyber attacks like most people think of when they think of hacking. There's a lot of other ways that China is in our grid, which I'd be happy to talk about. Well, we have to because um, it's just remarkable how when just a small hit in North Carolina took down the grid, people lining up at gas stations. We saw gas lines. I mean, this was just a small thing. But this problem could get bigger, as you um, have laid out in this article that's linked right below in the description, everybody. But the white paper, talk about that. Sure. Well, you know, so you mentioned earlier about China um, buying up farmland. One of the other things that they've done, and there is a nexus map between the electric grid and then the white paper you just mentioned on food security, right? Yes. Because our, our modern food production capability depends on electricity. So a couple of different things the Chinese have done on the electricity side, they have created the conditions whereby we import their transformers, these gigantic transformers, which are the backbone of our grid in North Carolina. A couple of those got shot up by rifles, right? Well, if we're buying these from China and we know at least one of them, probably two so far have been found to have hardware backdoors, right? To allow remote access to potentially shut off a transformer. This is a huge problem, and it's why the previous president declared on May 1st, 2020, a grid security emergency and, and executed an executive order that should have taken care of this problem of Chinese transformers. Unfortunately, on day one, the current president suspended that order and opened the floodgates back. We now have 400 plus massive Chinese transformers in the grid, and the number is only growing. How did, how, how did we get here, Tommy? 400? 400. We keep How track many news isn't all over this? Because this is an easy way just to shut down the grid in America with 400 That's of right. them. How did we get here? Ultimately, Matt, 
unrestricted warfare. That's the China, Chinese doctrine that they've been fighting us for decades with, which includes economic warfare. We saw what they did with COVID, whether it was you know purposeful or not as a biological weapon, it was used as one and certainly as an economic warfare weapon. But we, you know, when we talk about uh, the transition of that dependency between electricity and our food, one of the things that, that America's, Americans just need to realize is if we lose our grid, whether it's the Chinese, whether it's mother nature, no matter what takes it down, we're unprepared as a nation with respect to food security. Uh, and I'd be happy to talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, please do, because the, the food security is already a problem with the inflation, right? And the supply yeah. chain. We, right. have, we, we still have people paying way too high. I know they're trying to sweep this under the rug, but I think this starts with inflation and reliance on the supply chain. Is that correct, Tommy? Yeah, and again, economic warfare. That's what China yes. does, right? And, and then also buying up and influencing major different components of our most critical infrastructures, right? Whether it's the grid or food, which you'll see the white paper that you mentioned earlier is it, we published it last month. Food security is national security does detail a number of the ways that the Chinese have been working to influence our food, our, our food policy, right? With really strategic purchases of farmland. The other thing that it reveals though, is our lack of preparedness. You know, most people make 1.6 visits to the grocery store per week, statistically, okay? We consume about five and a half pounds of food a day. Over a year, that's a ton. That's over one ton of food. And yet most Americans are not storing food or not prepared. And as a nation, our strategic national stockpile has no food. So we are utterly unprepared for a disruption. And that's what we lay out in the white paper. Thankfully, we also lay out recommendations for what people can do. Now, this is great. You can go to centerforsecuritypolicy.org, and there's the report, Food Security is National Security. Tommy, I got a family of five, so that pound or five pounds a day you're talking about, that's breakfast around here, brother. That's right. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'll tell you, Matt, th this is something that personally, because I've been working on the grid portfolio for years, and I've always seen the nexus between a grid down scenario, and really, that's the that's the fastest way to produce famine in this country. So even as a person, like me personally, I have done a whole lot to make sure that my own family is prepared with the sorts of things that we would need if the lights go out. And it helps with any kind of emergency. Look at COVID, right? We didn't have to, you know, there's lockdowns and stuff. We didn't have to worry about rushing out to the grocery store where the shelves were empty. We had what we needed because we were prepared. And that's the one hopeful thing, Matt, is both of these issues are where th there are places where people can actually make a difference and be more prepared at the individual level. And then finally, there is actually a uh, there's a documentary coming out launching uh, January 17th about the grid that'll let people actually get involved, not only being prepared, but being activists in order to help solve these problems. Yes, we're going to put this link in the uh, description right below to griddownpowerup.com. Do I have that right, Tommy? That's right. Grid Down, Power Up. And it's a film narrated by Dennis Quaid. will launch in Hollywood uh, January 17th. And then it'll be one of these situations kind of like The Chosen, where you could watch it and pay it forward. We're going to have that opportunity for people to be able to uh, absorb the really the gravity of this issue of grid insecurity. And then we'll have a whole series of tools on the website, uh, the Participate tab, that will let people become activists to fix that problem. 
Well, that'll be good. We have the link posted there too. And I know you do have a strategy. It doesn't seem like the government has a strategy strategy though. And that's what's concerning. It is. Unfortunately, the government has utterly failed. The federal government has failed the American people when it comes to the security of the grid. A lot of it, Matt, is the influence of the electric power industry lobby, right? Uh, this is one of the most powerful industries in the world. And every time I go across the country to try to encourage uh, different regulations or laws that would promote the security of the grid, uh, I'm often met in opposition by fleets of very effective lobbyists paid for really with our electricity bill. Uh, and so, I, you know, I'd be happy to talk more about that later when we have time. I think your, your viewers would probably be righteously angry if they understood uh, that David and Goliath struggle. But again, the good thing is it's a struggle that we can actually all start to get involved in. Well, we have to get involved in this and then everybody can get the report center for security There's many other resources on there as right as well. Right, Tommy. That's right. Our organization's a nonprofit. And I should just mention, you know, we're not funded in, by the government at any level, no foreign sources, no defense contractors, no electric utilities or companies that can make money protecting them. No one in the food industry, right? We literally exist for the public interest. And so our organization looks at any threat to this country, both ideological and with respect to infrastructure. Sometimes it makes us unpopular in certain circles to be speaking truth to power, but your, your viewers at our website can find information that spans the gamut of ideological and infrastructure threats really to what our founders intended for this country. That's what we're fighting for. That, that constitution, I took an oath as a, as a U.S. Marine to defend. Okay, that's excellent. We encourage everybody to check it out. I want to give you the last word. You've revealed a lot of shocking data here. When it comes to the Biden family, they have serious ties to China. This is a big concern, but I want to give you the last word for our listeners to really find a way to get more prepared because this this family connection to China is, plays a role in this situation as well. Well, look, I, I, um, I think everybody who actually has their eyes open and can see, you know, the the potential influence, the actual influence that the Chinese have over not just the Biden family, right? Not just the things that would, were revealed on, on uh, you know, Hunter's laptop, but the deep capture, that's the term for it, deep capture, pervades almost all of our elites in this country. You look right now at the number of former elected officials who are lobbying on behalf of Chinese companies like TikTok and Huawei and Hikevision, these companies that we know are security risks, we've got our own former politicians making tons of money. So it's not just the Biden family, it is an equal opportunity sellout that Americans need to wake up and realize is happening all around us. But again, there's ways for us to be prepared and for us to get involved. And, and I'd love to continue to, to be in touch with you and your, and your viewers about that as we move forward. We will. We will definitely do a follow-up on this because there's so much more to uncover, but the link is right there in the description for you guys. Tommy, thank you so much. Tommy Waller is the Executive Vice President at the Center for Security Policy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Okay, sounds good. We'll be back on the Matt Buff Show. You stay with us.
Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. Happy hours every day of the week and all day Sunday. $1 off drafts and house wines. $2 off well liquors. And Liam Fitzpatrick's has tons of special events. Tonight, $7.99 burger and fries. Tomorrow, live music. Liam Fitzpatrick's does catering and has a private room for your meetings, luncheons, and parties. Mention The Buff Show and get 10% off your order. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. LiamFitzpatrick's.com. It's time to convert and sell more with the best tools made for small, medium, and large businesses to grow online. With JJC Marketing Solutions, you can grow with do-it-yourself, easy website and funnel builder, or they will build it for you. More options at your fingertips with JJC Marketing Solutions. Not only do you get the best state-of-the-art website, but also comprehensive sales funnels, CRM tools, and powerful search engine optimization. No matter where you are, they can help you grow your business with affordable online marketing solutions. Get weekly reports, dashboard access, and full transparency to see how your keywords are growing. Start building your online presence today. JJCMarketingSolutions.com. That's JJCMarketingSolutions.com. Welcome back to the Map Off Show. Great to have you with us. You know, we've been doing the gift of Christmas music for you, and you can check that out on thebuffshow.com. Just search for music. Very simple. We got a whole bunch of cool artists, and we're going to wake one up this morning. All right. He did a show last night, but we're going to go to West Virginia and wake him up. Hey, Lando Eugene Murphy Jr., are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, there he is. We woke him up. <laughs> Very cool. He did a big show last night. Now, he first burst onto the national scene with uh, Sinatra and Soul singing season winner six. He was a season six winner of NBC's Americans Got Talent. He won the whole darn thing. Lando, welcome to the show. Sorry to wake you up. That's cool, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, see, when, when we bring on rock stars and they have shows the night before and their uh, PR firms book them early in the morning, that presents a problem for everyone. Yeah, yeah, big time. Because, you know, a lot of guys, they want us to sing when we get on these interviews and you just now wake it up and your voice feels like you just came out of a junkyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now that everybody's properly scared with that voice, <laughs> talk about talk about your voice. When did you start singing? Uh, I I would think as a little kid, um, you know, I grew up in a Motown house, so it was always Michael Jackson, uh, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, you know, uh, all those greats, you know, playing in the background as I was growing up, but also. Um, my babysitter was television and my mom would always make me sit down and watch, you know, Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes and, you know, um, Tom and Jerry, things like that. So I was always, you know, listening to the big band sounds and the chase scenes. And, and then you start having the singing rooster, 
the singing rooster would come out and it would sound like Frank Sinatra or Bean Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> and all the chickens would like lose their mind and like lay eggs to the ceiling. So those are the type of things that I used to like imitate. I used to like play around with that as a kid. And, and as I got older, it became something that was really, really good that I was really good at. And, you know, um, it, it was just something that stuck with me. And so I started using it to, to benefit my community, especially like um, grandparents, great grandparents, veterans, abused kids, abused women, things like that. And, and it just kind of snowballed. It was, it was, it was God's way of grooming me, getting me ready for something like America's Got Talent without me even realizing it. And, you know, I'm forever grateful. So when you were on America's Got Talent, that's a very friendly crowd there, isn't it? No. No, they're not? <laughs> no, I wouldn't think so. I mean, if, you, if you're if you not good, it's going to be just as, you know, harsh as the Apollo Theater. No kidding. I mean, they just don't have a Sandman. That's it. They just don't have a Sandman <laughs> come to dance off the stage. But when those judges hit those X's, it's no different than men on the Apollo Theater. You know, they hit those X's, man, and you you got to go. You got to get off the stage. So um, I was lucky enough not to get any X's, you know, and, and in the back of your mind the whole time you're performing, you're hoping that, and you're thinking that they're going to X you because you're your own worst critic at times. So, but it's a scary feeling, man, and it's, I take my hat off to anybody who gets on that stage. It's not an easy thing. It's really not because you got to realize you got, you know, 16 plus million people viewing it, you know, the whole time you're on stage, plus the audience. Then you got the celebrity judges. It's just a whole lot to deal with. But, you know, you just kind of block that out, man, and, and go do what you were, uh, were born to do, I guess. When you were about to win, did you feel like you had this in the bag? Did you think, I'm just going to blow this out? No, not at any point. <laughs> not at any point. I I never even went on America's Got Talent to win the show. What was your goal? My goal was to, you know, change my life in the moment of, in just an instant. I mean, because television can do that. And so I was just like, um, if I can get on television, you know, and get that 15 seconds of fame, I believe I can do anything with that. And so that's that was my biggest goal. But as I started singing and they started to see my personality, I just I kept advancing. You know, and I was just like, wow, I can't believe I'm in, you know, the top 100. Okay, now I'm in the top 48. Oh man, I'm in the top 12. Wow, this is the top eight. Oh my goodness, I'm in the top four. I'm like, what is happening? You know, and it's because the whole time I'm pulling for the little kids. I was pulling for Pop Life and Silhouettes and a Graceman. You know, I was pulling for people like that. I was scared for Pro Professor Splash because I just knew that guy. <laughs> I was like, this guy's going to kill himself. If he goes up any higher and that pool gets any thinner, he's going to die. And we're going to witness something really, really horrible. But, you know... He pulled through, and then I, I noticed, like, on his last trick, he didn't go up any higher, and he didn't – and he made the pool, I think, deeper. He just put fire on it, something <laughs> like that. As I was telling him, like, man, you go any higher, you're going to die, bro. Like, <laughs> like That's funny. Ah. Well, that would have made you the de facto winner, though. 
No, I didn't want to win it like that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and like I said, I, I congratulate everybody that was on that season and beyond and before. Um, it, it takes a lot to step on that stage and, you know, and uh, put all your feelings and emotions and all your talents and gifts that you've probably been hiding from, from people <coughs> since you were a kid. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. No, that's okay. You were on stage with the big band last night, but I don't see the big band there in the hotel. Oh no, I have my own hotel room. I don't. I don't That's a perk. <laughs> I have my assistant that comes in and helps me uh, set up these interviews and stuff like that. But yeah. so, how many how many people go on stage with you? You're doing a Christmas tour right now. Yes. Um. Say piano, lead guitar, bass, drums, three horns, three horn section. Yeah, I, I, I consolidated down to three horns. It was, uh, it's usually like an 18-piece orchestra. Oh, really? And then I'll bring the horns down to nine. And in some places, it's six horns. But, you know, in small places like this, in the little theaters, in these little uh, counties that I'm playing in for the home, for the holidays, I, you know, I bring it down to like three horns. Okay. And uh, you also play in Vegas as well. Yeah, Vegas is awesome. I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Vegas. I like Vegas for, you know, 3 days though. Cuz I'm not a I'm not a gambler. Vegas is a town to get trapped in though. I mean, the party exactly. scene is pretty remarkable. Exactly, but I I'm not that type of person. I, I love the I love to entertain. So I'll go I'll go do my show, but then Right after that, I'm not at the after party. I'm I'm in my hotel room, bored to death. You know, <laughs> that's good though. That's smart. <laughs> clicking my TV remote, watching Netflix, trying to watch all the Avengers or Marvel, <laughs> Marvel <laughs> movies. You know, but then you know, um, you gotta be that way. So because it's like, uh, you know, you get in trouble real easy. So I just try to stay away from all of that, and I will focus on the next gig. And like I said, when I'm in Vegas, I love it for about three days because I'm not a gambler. And so I'll go and I'll do the show. I'll entertain everybody. Then I'll leave. I'll go to the next state. And then you're off to the next gig. Now, typically you play off the uh, great American songbook, Sinatra and yes. Motown and all those guys. What's your favorite uh, songs to play? We're, we'll, we'll get into Christmas too, but what are some of your favorite songs to play in front of a crowd? Uh, a lot of the Frank Sinatra stuff. I, I love doing the Frank Sinatra stuff because it's blue sky, puffy cloud music. It's very, very, um, very cool, very smooth, and and it doesn't degrade anybody. You know, and most songs that you try to sing is see they're about sex or, or, you know, some type of gender. And I, I don't like that. I like I like singing about stuff that everybody can relate to all at once. And a lot of that Frank Sinatra music is like that. You can relate to it. I don't care what walk of life you come from. We all go through it. And it and it, it actually just feels good. You know, I don't have to worry about my car being keyed up when I was getting in the parking lot. Because <laughs> you've made somebody mad. Nobody <laughs> gets nobody gets mad when they hear My Way by Frank Sinatra. It makes exactly. them feel good. Nobody gets mad with Fly Me to the Moon. No. None of those. I want to go to the moon. Exactly, you never get angry with kicking the head or 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 any of those songs. You know, it's just 
you know, witchcraft, all of it. I love every one of them, but I don't have a, a specific song that I love because I love all songs. I love all genres of music, you know, so I, I, I just think it's too hard to pick one song because I love Christmas Time Is Here, but then I also love Let's Get It On. I'm Marvin Gaye, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love the CD uh, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. I think that's one of the best CDs ever made. You one play That's best. What Friends Are For? That's a classic. Yeah, That's What Friends Are For with Gladys Knight and everybody. I love that. I love uh, On My Own by uh, Michael McDonald and Patty Bell. <laughs> yes. That's great. Also, Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. <laughs> Who doesn't love Time After Time? Yeah, yeah, that was our Madonna before Madonna. Yeah, she was. The poor man's Madonna. Yep, her and Pat Benatar. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Benatar's great. I know. What's your, uh, on your Christmas tour here, what do you close the show with? What's your big uh, number for Christmas? As, as I know it's not Jingle Bells. It's probably greatest time well, of the year, right? Mustang Sally. Oh, yeah? <laughs> no, <I'm getting> <laughs> <Christmas>. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll hit all the Christmas, you know, carols that everybody loved to hear. And then I'll do like, uh, you know, um, My Girl, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and then Mustang Sally. And then I believe, you know, to close the show out, it's always like um, Silent Night, one of those good Christmas songs. But I'll, I sing the first two verses, and, and then I'll let the, the audience sing the last verse. And oh, great. And it's so awesome. Everybody sing together and harmony. And then it's funny because, you know, you can look out in the audience, you can tell the people who don't know the last verse. A lot of people don't even know it's three verses in Silent Night. <laughs> I was going to say, how do they know the last verse? A lot of people are just kind of humming along. Yeah, they just kind of move along, and I'll keep singing it in the mic kind of softly, and then they'll, oh, I remember that son of God. <laughs> that's right. The Savior is here. Yeah. Now, that's that's a good song, but it's not a banger. Don't you got to finish the show with a banger? You got to kick their butts before you leave the stage, right? No, I think, I think the Motown does it for that part of it, and then it's like it brings everybody together. On one accord, singing Silent Night. It's it's very beautiful and and very uh, soft and quiet, and everybody's like got tears in their eyes, and you know. And, and I take a bow and I leave off the stage with them singing that song, and it, it's just beautiful, man. And we get out into the lobby because I sign autographs and take pictures. I'm the last person to leave the building, so, and I get all of those stories or. For all those emotions and feelings of how they felt when when I was on stage and how they felt when they saw me on AGT and how they feel that night singing Silent Night with the audience. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's a lot of it. It's a lot of Christmas spirit. Yeah, no, that is wonderful. That does make sense. Perfect sense. And I can see how the crowd would love that. Now, you got more coming up on your website, LandellMurphyJr.com. Yes. You're you're currently on the 12th annual 12th annual Home for for the Holidays tour, and there's more shows. Uh, you're about to wrap that up, and then you go to um, let's see. You're you're in Huntington, West Virginia uh, tomorrow in Fayetteville. You go all the way till uh, Versailles, Versailles, Ohio, on the 31st for the big New Year's Eve show. 
Yes, big New Year's Eve in Ohio. So just staying busy, man. We just did a whole run in Dubai and it's it's just been amazing. This whole journey has been amazing. Oh, that's great. And you're on a full-time tour heading into 2023, right? Yes. <laughs> that's good. Well, uh, people can get merchandise too and everything on your website as well, right? Yep, at LandownMurphyJr.com. You pick up um, T-shirts, coffee mugs, hats, uh, books, CDs, um, song books for school. Yeah, because I got a I got a song book, you know, uh, for for kids to learn all the songs and the charts in school. You can also get that off my website. Oh, and, uh, very. I have a website called uh, Landau's Kids Joy Toy Drive. And oh, so, how cool! Yeah, that's my way of, of giving back. And then during the pandemic, um, you know, me and my sister, we were sitting around thinking, like, man, there's a lot of kids in the hospitals that don't get to see their parents this year because yeah, that's awful. And I was just like, man, we need to be able to take them some toys. And so, you know, we, we set up this website and it's uh, you can go to the website and you pick a toy from $20 and under and you, you know, pick the toy, buy it and you ship the toy to me and me and my assistants and a couple of my neighbors that she gets to do it with. They wrap all the toys right there in my living room. And then we bag them all up and take them to hospitals. And a couple of these hollers with uh, less fortunate kids. Oh, what a great story. That is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just the way we got to be. I know you're about the fans because you provide access where people can meet you and do meet and greets and stuff like that. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, man. That's what that's I think that's what it's about when you when you get a blessing is to try to pay it forward. I mean, and also I became like a I guess kind of an ambassador of the state. So it's just um everything that I do, I have to I have to take very, very serious and you know, and think about it. And so it's like I'll go to these schools and I'll talk to these kids and tell them, you know, stay in school, listen to your parents, blah, 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 all of that big spiel, right? But then I look back and I was like, wow, I didn't even graduate high school. So how, right. can, I, how can I be in the school telling this kid to stay in high school? And, and I never graduated. So during the pandemic, I also had a lot of downtime. I went back to high school. Oh, wow. Got your yeah. degree. I got my degree and, and my slogan is it's never too late to graduate. And, nice. if, you, <laughs> and if you look on the back of your Kroger's receipts, and uh, probably in some Walmarts and CVS and Dollar General, you'll see me on the back of your receipt. You know, and it's, it's a website where you can go in and get your high school equivalency for free. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Everybody check out the website. We got it linked right here in the description. Lando, thank you so much for getting up with us today. Get some rest before your next big drive <laughs> to the next big gig. That's what I'm about to do, man. I'm going to do it. <laughs> you did it that's what i love about performers they always can get up and perform even for an interview even when they're just exhausted from the night before it's great oh yeah i just woke up not even three minutes before it started <laughs> very Come good well, thank you. Hey, you, uh, you got an interview in like three minutes you need to get up i'm like uh really no i thought it was like a phone interview and then she's like no it's, it's a video
Yeah. yeah. Breaking news. It's a video interview. Breaking news. <laughs> Thanks, Landau. <laughs> we appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you guys so much. I always remember to pay it forward and give back because it's easier to give than and so much better to, than receiving. <laughs> it is. I have three kids. It is. It's way more fun. As a kid, I never wanted to grow up. But now I know this is more fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of the tour, and we'll talk to you later. Hey, thank you, guys. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That will do it for this edition of the Map Off Show. You guys stay smart out there. We'll see you next time.